tea or something. <laughs> Welcome to the Hidden Node podcast. I am Nick Turner, and I am on the call here with Joel. How are and you doing, Joel? Great, and I feel terrible that I have already. We can trim up. that though. We, we can always trim that off. Should we though? We could just leave it and just. I think we could leave it. Let's just leave it. Who cares? I mean, yeah. <laughs> well. It's great to speak to you as always, Nick. Um, sorry for messing up our episode one of the Hidden Node podcast already. But hey, <laughs> now that we've got that out of the way, we don't have to worry about messing it up any further because it's already messed up, right? Exactly. Perfect. Exactly. Perfect. Well, Joel, you were uh, you were talking to me earlier about mm-hmm. getting very angry with SketchUp. Yeah. Do you want to tell me more about that? Are are you comfortable with that? Maybe. (laughs) I'm pretty angry at it, though. What have I told you, though? I'm a little worried about, like, what what did I say about SketchUp? Tell you what. We'll just start from, let's just start from the ground up, and I'll I'll tell you about why I'm I'm angry with with SketchUp. So, okay, well, as you know, um, I'm pretty into 3D printing, and Mm -hmm. uh, for whatever reason, um, I early on chose Google SketchUp as my design tool of choice for, you know, doing my own 3D modeling and, and stuff like that. I know that a lot of people that get 3D printers, they, you know, they'll just go to Thingiverse or they'll go to Prusa printers and they'll just download models and print stuff that's already there. And I do some of that for sure. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that, but I spend a lot of time designing my own stuff, whether it's like my own tools, my own little brackets and things for around my office, all kinds of stuff. I like to design things and then slice it and then send it to my printer and print it off. I, I do that a lot. Mm-hmm. But way back in the day, for whatever reason, I chose as my design tool of choice, I chose Google SketchUp. And then it got sold to Trimble. And I don't even know what Trimble's main business is. I think they're kind of like a, I don't know, like a, like a GPS or, I don't know, global location services company or something like that. I'm not really okay. sure what they what? do. What was what was uh, SketchUp primarily intended for? That you know? is a really good question. Um, I think it is primarily intended for architects and yeah, for like, like houses and yeah, gardens. Totally, yeah. So uh, one of the companies I used to work for, uh, my boss was actually a former architect. It was a software company. He made the jump from architecture to like software architecture, which is interesting. Uh, but he loved SketchUp. He was like, it was like his design tool of choice like he he even did like a small airport design in sketchup and he showed it to me and it was intricate and it was crazy uh and he definitely taught me some cool things about sketchup that i didn't know um well ultimately i i I feel like sketchup is designed for either architecture or it is designed for i don't know maybe for like a home user to mock up their kitchen remodel or something like that because okay. it seems to handle things like that pretty well. It's when you get into the precision stuff, the small stuff for 3D printing, that's when it seems to to break down pretty badly. But but uh, SketchUp's also quite an intuitive and friendly UI. I mean, I've I think I've played with SketchUp a couple of times, and I've more or less been able to achieve the end result. You think so? But like, uh, you, but you think it's friendly? Well. I had to follow the the guide, and I guess it was like the the initial bit was friendly, uh-huh. the initial. But then I ended up getting frustrated with it. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, okay. So when we look at kind of the what is available for three D modeling tools right now, um, of course, there's SketchUp. Um, there is uh, Tinkercad, which you have used, correct? You've used mm. Tinkercad. 
And um, Tinkercad seems to me like kind of the gateway, like the gateway 3D modeling tool. It's like your, your first 3D modeling tool. Does that seem pretty accurate to you? I think you've spent more time with it than I have. Yeah, sure. Maybe just with Tinkercad, it was it's very simple. You have mm. the basic shapes, you can have solid or non-shape. Mm -hmm. And so therefore you can build almost any shape you want to from these fundamental three-dimensional shapes. Gotcha. And then you can build one and then excavate another shape from that one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And with... With that, I was able to create the push handle for a suitcase. Right. That's the only that's the only 3D printed object I have designed so far. Gotcha, gotcha. And if I remember correctly, that was the it was for the little push handle for inside the handle on your suitcase, right? Correct. The little handle yeah. that collapses it, right? Yeah. So okay, well here's a big differentiation between SketchUp and between what I think Tinkercad is from from the get-go um tinkercad is designed to give you solid objects when you're done you get a solid uh, object it's called a manifold object that means there's no holes there's no uh, there's no walls with an infinitely thin thickness or mm -hmm. lack of thickness rather okay uh, you get a solid part out of it at least is that an accurate assessment so far because like i said you're the one who's actually used it i haven't really used tinkercad I think so. It, it was just Tinkercad is designed for building 3D models. That's its that's its goal, and right. it's pretty simple and easy to use. But some of the more complicated shapes, I found it. I found myself going down the rabbit hole of grouping these objects together, and then oh, I need to make a change, and then so you'd have to ungroup those objects. But within that group, there were other groups of objects yeah. and then I had to ungroup them to make the little tweak that so it all became I think I think Tinkercad and I haven't used it very much but it seems like a very good place to start but I'm sure it's not how the professionals are creating models well and that that's a good segue actually into what I think the next step would be from Tinkercad so Tinkercad is I believe it's an Autodesk product if I remember correctly it is an Autodesk product the next, I think that what it's designed to be is a bit of, like I said, a gateway drug um, for their next tool, which would be Fusion 360. Now, Fusion 360, when I look at Fusion 360, it's, it looks extremely capable. Um, my, my brother's a mechanical engineer. He does Fusion 360 stuff all the time, and he does some truly, some truly intricate, that's what I'm trying to say, intricate parts okay. that are beautifully designed. And but, but when I look at that tool, I am instantly overwhelmed, which is why I mm. have not made the jump from SketchUp to Fusion 360 um, is because it's just so complex compared to SketchUp, so complex compared to Tinkercad. Uh, and believe it or not, there's actually one more after that. My brother being a mechanical engineer, uh, his real tool of choice is actually SolidWorks, which is another Autodesk product. And that one does crazy amounts of stuff. I mean, it is, uh, first off, it's a very expensive tool. Um, you know, it's basically- I'm the, out. What's that? <laughs> if it's if it's expensive. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm out too. <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll look at it. I kind of like to think of Fusion 360 is kind of like the Ekahau of 3D modeling. You know, like in the world of Wi-Fi network design, you know, we have 
inexpensive tools like NetSpot, which will allow you to do a very basic survey on your Mac. Then you kind of get up to intermediate stuff like Tamagraph, which for $1,000 does surveying. It does virtual mm-hmm. design. And then you get up to like Ekahow and it's like, what, seven grand, something like that. I don't even remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Fusion 360 is expensive. It's it's in the seven grand, 10 grand, something like that range, which you know for a business is fine. But for you and me just wanting to 3D model some stuff is just way overkill. So Fusion 360, did I say Fusion 360? I meant... Um, SolidWorks. Gosh, I'm, yeah, I meant SolidWorks. Yeah, thank sure. you. But yeah, no, I think Fusion 360 really kind of is the tool of choice right now. I just need to get off of SketchUp somehow and get to Fusion 360, but I don't have time. That's the tricky part. I just don't is have it, time. Is it a case that with that tool, you, you can't really intuit your way around it? You're going to have to watch some tutorial videos. Exactly. Yes. Okay. I would have to dedicate some time to doing that. And that is just simply something I have not done. I have not done that. Okay. So, so then maybe for some specific questions, then the WLAN Pi case mm-hmm. that was designed in that was, SketchUp. That was all SketchUp. And I've had okay. several people tell me, like, look at me in disbelief and say, you did that in SketchUp? And I go, yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> and hence the me yelling at SketchUp at like one in the morning. I'm yelling at SketchUp because I'm just trying to get this little part to connect to this little part and this geometry to go like this and it just won't do it. Just SketchUp just refuses to do what I need it to do. And it's very frustrating. So once you've got the model the into the shape that you want and you're happy with it, be that from SketchUp or Fusion 360 or Tinkercad, what happens next? Good question. Um, So right now, the way that 3D printing works is uh, basically you take the model and you feed it into a tool that is called a slicer. Basically, it takes the model and converts it to a series of layers, hence slices. Um, Although more accurately, they're not even really slices. It turns them into what is called G-code. G-code is essentially a giant text file uh, full of coordinates. And so it basically tells the print nozzle, go here, go here, go here, go here, go here. And the printer, when you when you take that, that 3D model, you slice it, it turns into G-code, you stick it on an SD card or a flash drive or whatever, and then plug it into your 3D printer, and then you tell the printer to just, hey, run this G-code. And it just blindly runs all of that G-code. So, okay, so G-code has nothing to do with Google. No, nothing to do with Google. In fact, G-Code gets its roots from the CNC milling, uh, the CNC milling thing like from the 80s. Okay. Um, So once again, my brother, the mechanical engineer guy uh, who uses Mm -hmm. SolidWorks, he has a lot of experience with CNC mills. And it's really interesting. A CNC mill is a 3D printer. Instead of adding material, it just removes it. In fact, it's more fair to say that a 3D printer is a CNC mill because 3D printing was derived from CNC milling. Okay, but it's the inverse. It's the inverse, yeah. And what's crazy is that my brother has like a $50,000 Haas mill, like a super amazing mill. It, I mean, it is an incredible piece of equipment. It's huge. It requires you know, like a couple of forklifts to even move it. After you move it, you have to pay a guy hundreds of dollars to come and calibrate it for you. Like it's an impressive machine. But what's hilarious is like on the screen that's built into it, as it is milling out a part, you can see G-code streaming by and it looks it looks identical to the G-code that I, that I see in the text file on my 3D printer. Like it's the same thing. Okay. Not, not exactly the same, but it's the same. You know what I mean? 
All right. And so we take our model mm-hmm. and then we give that to a slicer mm-hmm. and the slicer then converts the model into G-code, Correct. which we can then feed into the 3D printer. Yep. You got it. And uh, when you slice it, there's a lot of different variables there that you can configure. You know, for example, layer height. Uh, you know, you could do 0.3 millimeter layers. And so you kind of can see all those layers very uniquely. I do most of my stuff at 0.2 millimeters. That's just kind of the sweet spot of speed and, um, I don't know, nice finished look on the parts. Uh, the other day I printed a part at, I think it was 0.07 millimeter layer height. Very, very, I'd have to go double check that, but super duper mega detailed. And it took forever to print a tiny part, but is this something that you Sorry, is that is that something though that you decide in the slicer or on the yeah. printer or both? In the slicer is where you will decide that. Uh, okay, so the layer height is one hundred percent dictated by the G code. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's it's dictated by your slicing tool, and that is where you set that. So, like for example, let's say that you start printing a part and you do point three, and it starts to print, and you go, Ugh, "Man, I'd really like to change that." You have to stop the print you have to go re-slice the file and then get the G-code back over to the printer. What what kind of feature would make me go, I don't like this? What do you mean? Like, what kind of... So, like, what aspect of the product, like, of the um, of the, the print, is it that would that would make me go, I don't like it? Is it, like, the... the what, what kind of things are you looking for? Like, what, what things am I looking for as it's printing? Things that might mm, make me stop yeah. the print? Yeah, I mean, um, usually most slicers, especially the slicer that I use, will tell me how approximately how long the print is going to take. So that I know ahead of time. I you know I will I will mess around with some parameters to see how long the print is going to take. Um, one thing that might stop me is uh, well, first off, if I just made a mistake when I sliced it. So, for example, one thing that we have to do in three D printing is support material. You can't print into thin air the you know the, the part just sags and you just get little strands of plastic everywhere you have to build support into it and there right. sometimes is a little bit of trial and error with that where you know you might set up the support material one way you might forget to put support material in a specific spot there might be a spot where the the slicer adds support material that you just don't want it there and so you start to print and you go Ugh, no that's not it's not what i want and you might stop the print and start over however most modern slicers, especially the slicer that I use, um, gives you a really nice um, three-dimensional preview of what the G-code is going to look like. So you can actually see all of the machine paths before you write it to an SD card, before you write it to a USB flash drive, or otherwise get it over to your printer. And I think okay. most modern slicers have some kind of a G-code preview like that. So, so yeah. hang on, hang on, just before we progress any further. Mm-hmm. So for people who are new to... 3D printing, the world, people who are new to the world of 3D printing, like I am, you would, you would say green light to Tinkercad, green light to Fusion 360, mm-hmm. red light to SketchUp. Yeah. And then what slicer do you use? Yeah. I, okay. So first off, you're 100% accurate on my feelings on different 3D modeling tools. Before I get into the which slicer to use question... There is one more 3D modeling tool that I think we should talk about, and hmm. that is a tool called OpenSCAD. Uh, Open S C A D. OpenSCAD. 
Uh, right. Have I have you seen OpenSCAD? Have I shown that to you? I think you showed it to me when I was trying to design the hand the push handle and it for for what I wanted to do, which was turn this thing around quickly because my I could no longer pull the handle of my suitcase out. Right. I didn't want to take the time to experiment with it and I haven't looked at it again since. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, maybe I should just run through what it is again really quick mm. just because I think it's definitely worth a mention. So, um most of the tools that all the tools that we've talked about involve lots of mouse clicking and things like that. OpenSCAD is a programmatic 3D modeling tool. So you basically get a text editor on one side and a preview of the, the, the model on the other side. That's what you get. And so you define the model by typing in text. It's similar-ish to C, I think. I'm not really a programmer. Okay. I'm not really a developer, but I think it's very similar to C. So basically you define a cube and then you translate that cube to move it around and then you define a sphere and then you can cut the difference between the sphere and the cube. And so then you, it's very similar to how you were differencing things and extruding things with, uh, with Tinkercad, except it is 100% programmatic. The advantage right. of that is that you can be extremely accurate with it uh, and you can make your parts, you know, you can do like if then statements, you can do variables, you can do all this stuff. And so changing aspects and dimensions and things like that can be very quick if you have properly defined, if you've properly written the code. Here's a good example of that. Somebody in OpenSCAD wrote a keycap generator. And so you can basically, they've written all of the code so that it will programmatically generate keycaps for your keyboard. So you can define what kind of key it is how tall the keys are, how wide the keys are, what, how the keys plug into the key switch. And then it will just spit out keys for you, which is super cool. So that's a good example of an advanced usage of, of OpenSCAD. Okay. So by, if, if you wanted to go down that kind of command line approach, then you probably get a lot more granularity and ease of manipulation if you can yeah. wrap your head around the creation of that in the creation of the objects through that interface yeah and you know what i think it you know what i think that tool is great is i think well so some of my friends that do 3d printing are like they're software engineers they're developing okay. they're like devops engineers they're, they're, they're those kind of people that just live in code all the time and so for them uh, clicking and dragging is way more work than just typing in some code and so for yep. those kind of people, it's great. It's actually the first real programming language I ever touched was OpenSCAD beyond, I don't know, playing with like QBasic on our 486 when I was like 10, you know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which, you know, something else entirely. Uh, but it, that really was like my introduction to programming was OpenSCAD. So I, I kind of owe it a little bit there for, you know, kind of getting me launched into the Arduino stuff and stuff like that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not a programmer. I'm very bad at it. I don't know Python. I don't know any other programming languages other than like Arduino stuff and OpenSCAD and basic, wow. of course. So, okay. Okay. So, so OpenSCAD is something else to consider Maybe. if you are pro, if you are code, if you're that way inclined. Yeah, sure. I think that's a great, that's a good assessment of it. If you're inclined to code, then check out OpenSCAD and it's free. It's open have source. You, have you created any items in OpenSCAD? Yeah. Yeah, I have actually. Okay. Um, I tend to use it for things that are, um, I don't know. I, I tend to use it for things that are kind of, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, when something is like the same on each side in like all directions, it's oh, the same. Symmet symmetrical? Yes, symmetrical. Thank you. I use it for symmetrical parts. Uh, okay. Like for example, I 
Um, so my wedding ring is not a perfect circle there. It's a long story, but it's not a perfect circle. And we would kind of like to get it recast as a perfect circle at some point. I okay. will likely use OpenSCAD to model that because it's incredibly accurate. A wedding ring is very simple geometry, but I want it to be very accurate. And I want to be able to make minute adjustments to it. And I will literally hand that 3d model over to our jeweler to make that, you know, to recast that ring. Um, okay. So it's great for stuff like that. Really great for stuff like that. Understood. Okay. And then and then we move on to how do I slice my model? Yeah, I forget. Before I went into the whole open scad thing, what what were, what were we talking about? I don't even remember anymore. We we were just we were just going from we 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 highlight we uh, summarized the design platform. Right. And then in order to take that 3D model and present it to the printer, oh, we need to use a slicer. Yeah, I think you asked me what which slicer I use. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, traditionally, um, well, first off, I, I think it's important to state that I've I've kind of been in the 3D printing thing for a long time. Uh, I built my first 3D printer in 2011. Uh, okay. And it's now 2019. So gosh, that's crazy that that's been that long since 3D printing kind of got started. Uh, back in the day, I used um, Slick 3R. Uh, I don't know, like this whole people calling it Slick 3R is kind of new before people called it Slicer, but it's basically Slicer, except okay. the E is a three. And recently, so, uh, like the internet community has said, okay, calling Slicer Slicer is stupid because there are a lot of Slicers out there, but it has this weird three in the middle of it. So let's call it Slick 3R. And so boom, Slick right. 3R. That's what people are calling okay. it. I used that for a long time. It's free. It's open source. Recently, um, Prusa Research uh, adopted Slick 3R, and they, they forked it, basically. And uh, they have renamed it um, Prusa Slicer. And so thus removing the you know Slick 3R weirdness, it's just Prusa Slicer now. And so it's a fork of that. Um, I believe that they're contributing everything back upstream. I'm not totally sure up, sure on that, but I believe it is still open source. I think it has to be open source still. That is sure. the slicer that I use. It is fantastic. It does everything I need it to. There are some other options out there like Cura. I've never really gotten the hang of Cura. Skineforge is a really old open source one. I, I don't know if any anyone's still developing that one. Uh, and then there's a paid one called Simplify 3D. It's like 150 bucks. I haven't used it, but I don't see how it's any better than Prusa Slicer. That's that's my opinion on that. Okay. Does Prusa Slicer only work with Prusa printers? That is a fantastic question that I actually need to answer. Because <laughs> as you know, I've got a bunch of Prusas. I've got currently at my house. They don't all belong to me. One of them does not belong to me. But I have okay. three. Uh, I have three Prusa Mark III S's here. Like looking okay. at them right now, and uh, and then I also have a Creality CR10, which I have not tried to print on yet. I just have it. Uh, got it secondhand. It's just sitting there, and I actually want. I, I need to figure out whether I can use Prusa Slicer to process my G code for that printer or not. Because to be honest, if I can't use Prusa Slicer. I don't think I'll keep it because I don't want to have like multiple tools and different tool chains and blah, 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 blah. I just right. don't want that. Hey, is G-Code, once you've turned a model into G-Code, mm -hmm. is it then, is that a one-way process? Can you take G-Code and turn it back into a model? Um, theoretically, you probably could, uh, but I don't believe that anyone has actually 
done but people that. don't do it no I, okay. I don't think so i mean sure you could and in fact prusa slicer and pretty much every other slicer slicer out there does because it renders a 3d preview of the g-code so actually i guess yeah you can you just don't get a functionally usable file out of it gotcha okay yeah, yeah. Uh, and so then i I just wanted to pick up on there something that you mentioned earlier about the overhang and support material, because I guess when I think of a 3D printer, I think of it understanding what it's doing, but actually it doesn't work like that. No. It's just moving around at a, in, a, in a pattern, uh-huh. extruding hot plastic, uh-huh. and if that if the instruction is to go three centimeters over here, but there is nothing below it, it will do that. It'll do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But then you just get a mess. Yeah, totally. It, it is crazy that 3D printers themselves, and I think this is almost universally true, uh, they are really dumb, actually. They just they just follow a path. That's what they do. Now, there have been some cool strides in 3D printing lately where, like, for example, the Prusas will detect if the, let's say that the stepper motor that drives one of the axes on it runs into something, the stepper driver will actually detect that and go, whoa, we just skipped a step and it'll pause the G-code and it will go find home on both the X and Y axis to basically make sure that the layers don't accidentally shift or something like that. So there is some cool smarts being built into them, but for all intents and purposes, yeah, they just follow the G-code. That's all they do. And again, same with CNC milling back in the day. They just follow the G-code and they just process it until it's done. I understand. Okay. And so I guess, I mean, the next obvious question, and well, it's obvious because it's it follows on and it's obvious because people who, uh, people who know you already know what you're doing, but why have you got three 3D printers? in your home <laughs> yeah why why actually nick i don't have <laughs> why i don't have three i sorry have, sorry <laughs> i have i have three prusa mark three s's um okay. out in the garage i have a printer bot play which i need to get out and resurrect at some point uh i have a uh i have the bones of an old printer bot xl that jake snyder gave me that is going to get reborn into another print printer someday maybe and then i (laughs) have the creality cr10 downstairs and i Ah. have prusa mini on the way if prusa prusa has taken my money and has said they will send me a printer at some point um we'll see Uh, uh, well yeah we'll see they will they will of course so so we're actually up to seven yes although okay all right yeah let, let me rephrase. Why do you have three active printers in your home you know, right it's, now? It's really ludicrous that I'm asking you to make that differentiation. That's not fair, <laughs> and I'm sorry. Um, okay, so uh, so basically there is this little box in the wireless, the wireless networking world, the wireless engineering, Wi-Fi engineering specifically world called a WLAN Pi. Um, it's a... Oh, help me out with this. It's a... It's neo, a... What is it again? It's a... Ne- yeah, it's a Neo, it's a microcomputer. Yeah, it's a, it's a Raspberry Pi clone. Neo 2, I think, is who yes. makes it, though? Is it um, Friendly Arm? Friendly Arm makes it? Are they, well, that's who I bought, that's the website where I bought mine from. Maybe they're the distributor, though. Let me see if I can find it really quick. Okay, okay. it's a NanoPi Neo 2 is the single board computer. Um and so the physical computer itself is, um, it's single board computer, like I said, uh, 
it has a um, it has a nice little display on it. It's got three push buttons. It's got a couple USB ports. It's got gigabit Ethernet. And our good friend Jerry Ola, Jerry is just one of my favorite people ever. Uh, he has kind of organized this project around it, uh, where it's been basically turned into a like a little I don't know Swiss Army knife of wireless networking or Wi-Fi engineering, where it does all of these cool little things that that we need it to do that no vendor out there has built into a tool. And so what I have done with that is, um, and I was not necessarily the first to do this, but I designed a little a little 3D printed case that would encapsulate the NanoPi, Neo2, yeah. a USB adapter, and a USB-C cable, and just kind of keep it all neatly bundled up so that now, instead of you having to, like, you know, assemble this little Raspberry Pi looking thing whenever you arrive on a job site, now it's just a single thing that you get out of your bag, you use, and then once you're done, you chuck into the bag. Um, and so basically where this has gone is that uh, Keith Parsons, who runs the uh, the Wireless Land Pros store, is ordering uh, is ordering these things like on a fairly massive scale from me and reselling them. And so, yeah, one of the 3D printers is actually his. One of these is, is I'm literally borrowing it from Keith so I can keep up with demand. And when I am home, my printers are running, producing cases to try to keep okay. up with demand for this. Fantastic. So yeah, so your so your printers and and Keith's printer are churning out WLAN Pi cases. Yes. And then they get sent to wireless LAN professionals and so that people can buy the WLAN Pi microcomputer inside a case as a as a as a finished unit. Yes. Yep. It feels more like a tool instead of a little kit. Yeah. Which is that's do you, yeah, do that's you have do you have a WLAN Pi in a case or do you just have a WLAN Pi at this point? I just have a WLAN Pi and mm. I am very much I, and you know, I know this was sort of a delayed gratification thing, but I, I, I felt like I wanted to buy the WLAN Pi, burn the SD card myself, and then use my <laughs> my Prusa Mini to print the case. Yeah, yeah. Now, okay, I think it's important though that we talk about this Prusa Mini though. This, uh, this, uh, you know, this supposed Prusa Mini. What's going on? <laughs> did Did you buy one? Like, whoa, 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 give, give you an update yeah. here. What's happening? No, I did. On the yes, I placed an order on on your advice based on based on the conversation yes. that we had. Yes. I yes. <laughs> well because. If we go back over a year, we had a conversation where you said, where you suggested, Nick, you should really get a 3D printer. It's the sort of thing that would appeal to you, and I agree. And I and I did my research, but at the time, it was the Mark III S that was available. Yeah, and it might have been the Mark III back then, but you know, yeah. Mark III S is the same thing. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. It was the Mark III, but just f I I have been aware of the 3D printing uh, world, but it hasn't i don't think I, I i wasn't ready to kind of get involved with it and make it a you know a big time uh hobby of mine whereas i th it, by the looks of things now the prusa are getting to this point where it will of course need to still be a hobby it's not like a it's still not a regular printer where you just give it power plug in the cable and then hit print but you you gave me the you gave me the impression that it was sort of now getting towards a point where it it didn't have to be a huge investment of time right to get some model out of it that would be useful yeah um 
So of, of all the 3D printers that I've owned, you know, starting out with my very first printer, the, the hobby itself was the printer. The, the hobby was not making things. The hobby was the, the feeding and care of the printer. And sometimes it would reward you with a sort of okay, half decent, you know, part. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that a lot, but it took a long time. Well, it didn't actually take a long time. It, it just, we had several years there where 3D printing was, it, it was not for the faint of heart. It was something that you yeah. really had to be all in on. This uh, is a little bit like, this is a little bit like vintage cars. I remember as a child being fascinated with older cars and my father explaining to me, it's not driving these old cars that the owners do with them. It's, oh, yeah rolling around under them fixing them maintaining them you only see them out and about because they spend all of their weekends yeah tinkering and and so similar similar thing with the 2d printers would you say yeah absolutely um okay so my dad is actually into old cars uh right and uh he's actually got a couple from that hail from your land from the uk uh okay yeah uh he's got a really nice little um a little MGB, which is, I think is so much fun to drive. And uh, he recently got an old <laughs> Alfa Romeo as well. And so, I don't know. Those are like things that we, we do not see those in the United States. And so, I don't know if you care, but uh, you know, <laughs> maybe you don't care at all. <laughs> but no, the reality is, is yes, he does enjoy going for a drive in them, but that's not what it's about. It's right. about the fixing them. It's about finding the parts. It's about... Uh, you know, you know, he'll pull a piece of chrome off and polish it all up and make it look good. I mean, I do the same thing with old retro computers, you know, I, yeah. like I have a whole bunch of old Macs and the reality is I spend very little time actually using them. I spend a lot more time tearing them apart, cleaning them, putting new capacitors in that kind of stuff. So right. I feel like 3d printing very recently, like within the past two years, year and a half has kind of suddenly made this transition over from the 3D printer itself being the hobby to actually being able to expect functional parts to come off of the printer at probably like an 80% success rate, 80 or 90% success rate. Uh, I mean, for example, like yesterday, I started a print for, you know, a batch of WLAN Pi cases. I started, you know, three cases on one printer, three cases on another printer, three cases on another printer. Well, actually halves of cases. They're printed in halves. And right. I think... I had to restart the print on one of those printers because it didn't adhere or there was a blob of plastic that got stuck in a weird spot and it was just going to make it ugly or something like that, you know? But right. that success rate is just so much better than it used to be because of all of the uh, just quality of life improvements that they've been making on these things lately. And I think it's no secret that I'm a massive, like, Prusa fanboy. I've... You know, I, I told you this, you know this already from when I recommended the Prusa Mini, but I've had a bunch of 3D printers and none of them have just worked like the Prusa does. And that is just the experience that I've had. And I think it was that sentiment that pushed me over the edge, along with the sub 500 pounds yeah. price tag that was like, okay, fine. I think this unit is now at a point where I'm willing to... in put that money into it and invest the time because I think now the investment to reward ratio will be satisfying for me. Yeah. Well, and I think there's, I think there's a few different things that kind of make the Prusa mini, uh, which by the way, I, I don't think, I don't know if even reviewers have received them yet as the recording of this episode of this podcast, like it's brand, it's brand new. It's, it's not, I, I, I ordered mine the day they announced them. I have not received it yet. They said they'd be shipping in late November. It is November 
27th. Um, and my, as far as I know, mine is not shipped yet. I'm fine with that. But oh, yeah. the, the Mark III S, I think the kit is $750 USD, whereas the decked out Prusa Mini is $400. Uh, additionally, the Mark III S kit, I mean, it is a bunch of, it, you get every single part is separated. You have to build it yourself. And to be honest, it's a lot of fun. Like, I enjoyed building yeah, mine. Yeah, that, that actually appealed to me about the Mark III build process i was kind of looking forward to inviting yeah. my father around and building it together with him but right but i'm, I'm happy with this because really i have this w lampire sat on my desk i'm i'm ready i'm ready to print out have a case something printed. yeah yeah and also now i i'm now of course now now that the ability to print something myself is within almost within reach now i walk around the house and i'm like aha yes i can fix yeah. that with a 3d print and i can mm -hmm. fix that with a 3d print and it's i can magical. fix that one over there like <laughs> totally yeah i mean like people ask me all the time like well what do you actually make with it like what do you 3d print you know and mostly i let's 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 be honest here mostly i like 3d print stupid things like you know i printed low polygon like uh pokemon for my kids and uh nice. I wasn't into Pokemon as a, as a kid, but I've gotten like some old Game Boys and kind of been playing through a little bit of the, the old stuff with my daughter. And so they love like me to 3D print stuff like that. They kind of assume that everything I print is a toy for them. My kids do. It's pretty funny. <laughs> but no, I, there actually is a ton of useful stuff around my office. Like I've 3D printed little brackets to hold cables up underneath my desk so that there's not cables everywhere. Um, I've 3D printed like a little light stand that clips above my monitor to hold my my lights and things like there's all kinds of things like that I have printed mm. and uh, and so yeah one one advantage of the Prusa Mini over the Mark III S is Mark III S you get a bunch of pieces you build it as a kit uh, it, it is a it's a day long process it, it takes a full day most likely I would say a full day to build it from start to finish it's fun though it is really fun mm. the Prusa Mini comes in three parts and you just basically bolt together three parts and you are done at least that is that's the expectation uh, you know haven't received it yet sure for me I would much rather just buy it as a bunch of parts and build it myself but this does lower the barrier entry quite a bit that you can just get it put it together i've got two more questions for you sure number one when you ordered your prusa mini did you did you did you dick it out did you get yes. all of the available yeah uh, i did add-ons did, did you the extras yeah i did yeah you did okay good good um okay so the 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 uh, maybe i should explain like why i decked it out um please so the and first why, thing, and that way I can use that as justification as to why I did it, I'm, not knowing why. Nick, I, I am I am more than happy to help support your your uh, <laughs> your your addiction upcoming, to buying things. Yes, my upcoming problem. Yes, with yes. 3D printing. I am more than happy to do that. Um, you know, you know that I collect old Macintoshes and stuff, and every time I buy another <laughs> one, I always message my friend Sam Clements, and I'm like, Sam, do I have a problem? And he's like, No, no, you don't. No, this is fine because. <laughs> You know, the reality is he's got a problem too. Uh, yeah, I took a picture of all my old Macs. I had like, I think I had eight old Macintoshes in my kitchen. And I, you know, I, I put a couple pictures on Twitter of that or something like that. And, and people were like, yeah, you you might have a problem. But then Sam, good old Sam comes in and says, no, no, it's fine. You don't have a problem. This is normal, right? <laughs> okay, so upgrades, potential upgrades for the Prusa Mini. What are yep. they? And why are they a good thing? So the first one, the most important one, in my opinion, 
is the textured spring sheet bed. Um, and so the kind of like the old school print surface that we used to use was actually a piece of glass. You would go and buy picture frame glass from like a craft store and you would print on it for a while and it would eventually break because of the heat expansion. And it was a terrible print surface. Like PLA kind of stuck to it sometimes, uh, but it was nice and flat and it was just the closest thing we could get. Then at some point, somebody discovered that if you printed on, oh, what is the type of plastic? Um, Nick, I'm missing it. Can you back me up here? Do you know what it's called? I don't called? know. Because you're the one asking me the question. Uh, PEI, that's it, PEI. Uh, somebody figured out that PLA stuck to PEI really, really well. PEI is a thermoplastic uh, that I think is actually used in food service a lot. Like, you know, when you go to McDonald's, and they're like in the back making hamburgers and they just reach up and they grab hot food out of little drawers. I think those little drawers, those little containers are made out of PEI, I think. Okay. Don't quote me on that. But anyway, PLA sticks to, that's okay. We're putting this on the internet where everyone can hear it. No big deal. Um, so yeah, PEI, PLA sticks to hot PEI really well. And so that, that was a game changer. That was like a big deal. Like, wow, my prints actually stick now. And that's what Prusa started doing pretty early on was doing a thin layer of PEI. And that's what you would print to. Um, then they moved to a removable spring sheet where basically you could remove this bendable sheet off of the bed. And when you warped it, that would pop the parts off. And that was yet again, a game changer that just made life so much easier. Then most recently they introduced a they introduced a textured spring sheet. And so it's got this kind of grainy kind of texture on it. And I think it's like a powder coated PEI or something like that. I'm not totally sure. But okay. not only does uh do the, the parts get this nice textured appearance on the bottom layer instead of a smooth appearance, they they look less 3D printed, you know. Uh, right the parts also pop off of it just magically, beautifully. So what I have found so far is that PLA sticks really great to the smooth sheet. Uh, PETG sticks really well to the uh, uh, to the textured sheet. And in fact, PETG sticks too well to the smooth sheet. Right. In fact, it's it sticks so well. Keith was showing me one of his beds and it like the the part literally ripped the PEI off of the bed, destroying huh. the, the the sheet. Yeah, and so I don't print PETG on my smooth sheets. I only print those on the textured sheets, and they just look beautiful. Okay. Good oh, wait. To... No? Well, There's one other thing, wasn't there? One other upgrade. Yes. Uh, what was it again? The sensor. Right. Do you want the spiel on the sensor as well? Yeah. Oh, don't go to sleep, MacBook. Oh, my gosh. We're good, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't touch my MacBook for a while. Okay, yeah. So the other upgrade that you can get on the uh, on the Prusa Mini is the filament sensor. Uh, that is really great for if you are almost to the end of a spool of filament, you can uh, you can just let it print until it runs out of filament, and then it's got a little switch in there that will detect when the filament runs out, and then it will park the print head and beep at you until you come along and feed in another spool of filament, which is really really nice. Um, yeah, so that that's it's just worth the 20, 20 bucks or whatever it costs in, in British pounds. I don't would know. Would you would you see that breakpoint in the print? Yeah, without the filament sensor, what the printer would do is it would just be printing, and then it would run out of filament, and it would just keep on printing. Print, print, <laughs> okay, print, back know, to it, the 
Expecting Except- intelligence and not being aware of what it's actually doing. Yes, thing. exactly. Whereas with the sensor, like it would go, oh, I ran out of filament. And it would just go automatically pause the print, park the print head, and then ask you to load more filament. And so, yeah, the filament sensor, in my opinion, is really, really important. And uh, I'm, they're just, it's $50, 50 USD more to add those two things, the, the you know, the, the bed and to add the sensor is just worth it. You're, you're just going to kick yourself later if you don't. Okay. Um, Joel, I'm sure I'm going to have lots more questions for you about this, especially once the 3D printer arrives. But right. uh, I think that's covered everything I wanted to ask you about today. Cool. Shall we? Um, shall we wrap things up? Yeah, we probably should. And I think it's important to note that this isn't the only thing we're going to talk about on the Hidden Node podcast. Uh. We talk about all kinds of things. This is just just happened to be. I can't believe that we filled forty five minutes with just three D printing. I did. We in, not. Yeah, we that. intend to cover a broad spectrum of of topics. Right, right. I, I mean, like, I really want to talk about the cat flap some more. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about. There's all kinds of things I want to talk about. We'll probably like. I want to talk about Tesla stuff with you. Uh, oh, there's just all kinds of things. All kinds Perfect. of things. And all right, man. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I look forward to asking you further questions about the 3D printer. Thank you very much for taking the time to go through that with me and um, speak to you soon. Yeah, uh, I look forward to not being the only one that talks on the entire episode. So yeah, <laughs> talk to you soon, man. Oh, that was, thanks, man. Cheers. Bye. Bye.